Welcome everyone to another episode of Notes from the Aleph. An Aleph is a high point from which all things are visible, and from our vantage point we'll be looking at tabletop role-playing games, their design, and the theory behind those designs. Around here, our motto is be fair, build up, and have fun. I'm your host, Griffin Rowe, joined by our editor, Theta, our local designer, Norman Rafferty, and our good friends and GMs, Red Rabbit and Lessons Learned. When it comes to tabletop role-playing games, I have 15 years of experience running, playing, and frequently fixing problematic rule sets at the table. Pronouns he, him, they, them. Lessons, why don't you go next? Yes, uh, I go by Lessons Learn 1 here on Twitch and Lessons Learn on YouTube. I have multiple projects on both sides. I'm right now streaming Dragon Age 2, which is it's a heck of a game, but not for the reasons that you might expect. Uh, and also, I'm a writer over Amazon.com with my uh, short story collection called Night and Stars uh, for 99 cents. You want to check it out. And also, I am the GM uh, in residence for the Sunday nights here at Breakfast Channel, where we're currently finishing up the uh, great, uh, going for the great ending finishing fight of uh, the campaign into the Wild Coast of a edition uh, adventure. All right, Red Rabbit, why don't you go next? Hey, call me Red, and I'm running our Wednesday games of Ironclaw 2nd Edition here on the channel. I play a variety of RPG games. I'd like to be playing more right now. It's kind of a slow season, but um, I consider myself a student of game design and of narrative design. All right, and last but not least, Norman Rafferty. Hello, world. Uh, I'm Norman Rafferty, he, him. I work for Sanguine Games. Uh, I don't know why I write games. Apparently I hate them. Do you listen to me talk? <laughs> we we have, and we, we're we down for it. Grr. I hate everything you like, especially you, Griffin. You're the worst. <laughs> Yay, someone noticed me. <laughs> <laughs> so, gone to uh, today's topic. So, as I often introduce myself, I've been playing different versions of Dungeons Dragons for over 15 years. Yay! Um, I would occasionally uh, check out new systems for a few sessions, once uh, for maybe a few sessions, or for a campaign, but usually I used to just kind of wander back despite growing kind of increasingly frustrated with the way it operated. Here's where I don't like Fawn Rafferty, you caught me. Um, but it was only maybe about like six years ago I really started branching out and replacing it entirely with other systems on a more permanent basis. But nothing will ever really stop me from complaining about it. So why did it take nine years to finally break out of playing one game when it so clearly wasn't doing the things I want to do? Today, we'll be talking about Stockholm Syndrome and when it applies to tabletop role-playing games, where we're not happy and we refuse to go anywhere else. So We're not happy and everyone else will pay. <laughs> so, so I opened up with, like, uh, it, it took me about, like, nine years before I started more permanently moving on to other things. What, what about you two? At what point did you, like, open up to, like, playing something else than the thing that you started with? I I think it was a couple of years into playing Offensive and Dragons, but again, I played the other games because other people were playing this. Like, I just go, mm -hmm. going along for it. It's like, oh, you guys want to play Shadowrun? Okay, let's play that. You want to play Star Wars? Let's go with that, right? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't until many, many years later, I think post-third edition craze, where everything basically was D&D, &D, no matter how much hard you tried, or at least that's the way it felt, uh, that I was like, you know, I need to try something else and stick with it. And yeah. that's that's when I really broke out into other games, uh, you know, on a, on a consistent basis, like uh, because you know, like better superhero games than DC heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's like a good pin. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I think that's a good pin to put into. It's like often we are uh, stuck with the people that we play with, and if everyone doesn't want to move along, we kind of stick with it. But what about what about you, Red? So wait, so the, the question here. Is it how long we stuck we stuck with playing D and D, or is it how long uh, we've like gone? Yeah, how, how long did you situation? Uh, it it could probably be both. I mean, I I'm going to assume D and D was probably the first thing you played, but maybe you played something else, stuck with that for nine years, and then realized, wait a second, I want to do these things. I want to do something else now. Wow, you just assumed my first game was D and D, but I know right. I'm terrible. You no, no, you're true. I'm <laughs> very basic in that way. If we want to talk about D and D, I probably played started playing it in middle school, which would have been in the 90s like the late 90s and then into high school and then put it down for at least 10 years probably 
closer to like verging on like 20 years probably and then came back to it with fifth edition but in that time i discovered a bunch of other games that were a lot more interesting it's only it's only within the past like five years that i've started to pursue actually finding games i wanted to play finding people to play them with and then sitting down and committing the time and energy to, to get it done mm-hmm. um but yeah so it started with D, but it, it didn't last very long for D. right and I think that's probably another pin to put into is each of us here has run games and are GMs. So the putting in the energy to run a game for other people is kind of a, a thing other groups have to deal with because someone has to learn and someone has to figure it out and then educate it for everyone else who is also trying to figure it out a little bit behind you. I mean, um, yeah, tell me if this sounds like an, ex- an experience you've had where you find a game and you're just, you're crushing on it hard and you're like, I love the, I love the idea of this. I love the setting. I love the rules. I want to try building these characters. I want to try creating, you know, I can't wait to do this. And then that crestfall when you're like, I need to convince at least two other people that I know to play this game with me. That is, uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's and a of lot. course, to replace the thing that we're already doing every Friday anyways yeah totally um yeah uh and i guess the mystery in the room so rafferty so (laughs) what at what point did you start playing other role-playing games at what point between like the late cretaceous and the uh mesozoic did you start well it was hard at first because you had to get dice that wouldn't float away when we're in the primordial soup um (laughs) uh, i started with um uh, like a lot of people of a certain age, uh, I started with the Moldvay set with the Errol Otis cover, the red box mm-hmm. of the BCMI for, and um, uh, and uh, almost immediately I went out looking for other stuff because at the time the other the two other role playing games at the time were Call of Cthulhu and Traveler. Yes, there's more, but those were the big ones. Traveler right. was the next one because I really wanted to do science fiction, and Traveler like also was dramatically different. First of all, it's science fiction instead of um, fantasy. Uh, second, it was like they didn't really have an experience point system. I mean, they had one was a joke. Uh, it was more of a skill based. It's definitely a skill based game, and mm-hmm. it was uh, so there wasn't a lot of level matching. It was a much more serious book. Uh, it was a terrible one to start with, but eventually I gravitated towards uh, the the crunchy games, the ones that give you a lot of control, like Rollmaster. Um, back then, it was, Rollmaster was an add-on for Dungeons and Dragons, but later became a game in its own right. Uh, Champions. Once I found out about that, which is later turned into Hero System, uh, I was also one of the first GURPS players. I played GURPS back when it was called Man to Man, but it eventually turned into the Great Unnamed Role Playing System. That's actually what GURPS stands for. They retconned it something else later. Yeah, and generic, uh, unified something. Yeah, and, and I played a variety of different games. And uh, GURPS and Hero were the ones where you may, if you've been following these sessions, are the ones that just really kind of soured me on the experience because um, they were a lot of what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to play them with anyone else who wanted to play them. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's um, you, you ran into this problem where, like, I really wanted to build, you know, a certain kind of character, but some of the people who would hang around were people who wanted to build point-based monstrosities. Like, they just wanted to abuse the system or make something incredibly powerful because, you know... Right. We see that today in modern computer games where people can cheat, so they do. Uh, I mean, even without cheating, like, part of, I think, hero system is literally how far you can push something, and it even specifically encourages you to do so, because the more efficient your character is, the better they are. uh, A better example might be Dark Souls, where people, like, Dark Souls has PvP, and you have people deliberately abusing the PvP matching system of building the lowest level character they can with the most broken gear possible, and then Mm -hmm. coming to kill you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, be, because uh, because they can, and that's part of their fun. Despite the fact that they're like they'll destroy me in twenty seconds. I don't understand what they think the fun is of this, but um, right. But you'll get people who are just ob- obsessed with that kind of power. Uh, you'll get people who don't understand the game system on the same level that you do. I mean, l- like I. That's why I always think power gamers get a bad rap because a lot of power gamers they say you're just looking for personal advantage. Well, yeah, but they're also looking for a challenge to meet their build. And if you mm-hmm. some there are some power gamers out there who build a really cool character and then get disappointed when either everything is too easy for them or um, the GM starts nerfing them because GMs were told they're allowed to nerf. 
uh, and breaking that rule, you know, basically breaking a rule where I was told I could be really powerful, but the GM has decided I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but really, most of the time, you you get into those. Uh, I also soured very quickly on any franchise based game, especially Star Wars. Because uh, um, it's been my experience that, I mean, you guys might have a great Star Wars campaign, but it's been my experience that anything that's based on a property almost always attracts somebody who loves the property way more than they love a good game. Uh, so I, I do have a thing, so yeah. I do have, in fact, an experience with that in Star Wars, not directly, but through a friend of mine who had a player who was like, yeah, I love everything that's about Star Wars, especially all these broken things in these psyched books, like Jedi who teleport, which isn't canon anywhere. Yeah, in, uh, in, fact, in fact, one thing I just ranted about in a previous session was mm-hmm. that when you read the materials or read the cheerleading that talks about role-playing games, They'll often tell you how it's a story of your own imagination. Like all the 80s ads are like, build the character of your dreams. It's a story, but it's not like a novel. It's a story that you create. And that's where a lot of the advertising is, and that's where you'll see a lot of the text in the book. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the game, and you play it for several sessions, waiting for that story to happen, and it doesn't. Right. Because um, it's... Like, as you already mentioned, the GM has to do a lot of overhead and the GM is like not understanding how to read the room or has their own story or agenda. Or, or even like knows how to like read the genre or like what is expected of it and kind of misses the point of it. Well, yeah. or Which is or, something that could happen. Or something we were just meeting on the last session where sometimes I just get an adventure that like like modern adventures have no provisions for this. Like Tyrant Queen has no provisions for going off script at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, which like uh, like that's where I get mad because that's a published adventure that somewhere someone must be going off script. We bought this to save us some prep, but anyway, yeah, that's why I keep wondering. Our modern player, I mean, all right, I get this out of the way. That's a you know, once again, Rafferty complains about performative role playing. It's like, um, you know, I, I it, the whole story of you get to play a character of your imagination is not the same as we're here to show everybody a good time and get money from our sponsors. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's like like you could still have fun with that, but you know, I was you know, I wanted to make a character and see them be really cool and exciting. And um this is before zero sessions, like people didn't have that. You just showed up with whatever character you wanted and everyone had to go along with it. Mm-hmm. So um So I think to go ahead and like uh push back to the script though. So we we've all eventually soured on like our initial experiences and sought out new things. What keeps people locked into these uh into this kind of mood where they're sour about something but refuse to actually leave familiarity it breeds contempt mm-hmm. but it also comforts as well yeah absolutely and i think we even like started with a pin in uh the friendship argument where well you have four other people and they are nearly quite as interested as you are in something new or they haven't soured on experience because they're looking for something else not not everyone is the same, obviously. I mean, sorry, my experience has been that our group would play D and D, right? Whichever version we were playing, we go out. Sorry for the aircraft noise if you can hear it. Uh, try something else for a couple of weeks or months or whatever, and then it's like, oh, what are we going to play next? And everybody was like, how about D and D? You know, because it was it was yeah, we we got we got a break from D and D, right? playing this other thing but then it's like well i guess we all know D. we're comfortable D. we know how to make characters in D or whatever base game you are a lot of people i know started in the 90s with vampire and were big on the old world darkness so that was their game uh or a game out of a designer out of you know outside of detroit which i'm not going to mention uh whatever that game might be that's what they go back to or savage worlds or whatever right i know people who actually produce you know, savage worlds is their their go-to game it's like that's that's the rules everybody knows or feels comfortable enough knowing. Maybe they actually don't know the rules. And so it's a fallback, right? We want to play on Sundays. We want to get together with our friends. What do we play? Let's play this, right? Um, also, again, learning the rules as a GM is like, well, I have to go and read a new set of rules. And reading a new set of rules is not the same thing as learning a new set of rules. Because, again, nothing really exists until you hit the table. Once you put those rules on the table and start playing, sometimes you realize that, what you thought was going to happen and what really happens is completely different. You're like, oh, no, no, no. Okay, I know this is a predictable experience. So I want to go back to that. I think that's a fair point. Yeah. I think that um, D&D and maybe certain other games that are similar have like a uh, 
it's not intimidating or maybe what I'm trying to say is that it is um well like you said it was comfortable right you know everyone knows about the classes everyone like I could ask anybody who's ever played D&D to come up with a character and even if they knew almost nothing about the system they know like the basic class and race options and they could pick two randomly and smack them together and have like yeah that could be a character concept so I feel like it's very um it encourages low investment to play D&D. Like so much is already taken for granted about the setting and about how the game works that you can just sort of uh slide right into it and, and not have to where I, where I kind of shake my fist and say, "You know, it's a fantasy, so it could be anything." Except it's just D&D. It's generic fantasy. Elves are shorter. Remember, I was always fond of pointing out, you know, Lego you saw Legolas, well you're not that. No, it's true. I mean, it is its own thing, but that thing is such a known quantity, right? That well, people are of comfortable World with of Warcraft, it. Because of Elder Scrolls, because of Pillars of Eternity, because it's become generic. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to like point out generic in the Western sense, because if you go to other countries or Japan, that's not true. Right, they they have their own properties and conceptions of fantasy. Yeah, you fire up any Eastern MMO, and they're not full of dwarves and elves. Only the Western ones are. Mm-hmm. It's just funny because I just literally picked this up off eBay for like fifteen bucks, but it's this uh, Japanese RPG called Tenra Bancho, which apparently is, or I don't know, was at one point a popular, very anime-inspired RPG from Japan. Yep. That I'll never play because of what we talked about earlier about having to like find people to play and invest the time and hey. the mental effort. But but you know it's an oddity, and I had to know. But yeah, it does also prove a point that like yes, you talk about other non-Western cultures and their idea of fantasy might be totally different. I think that's less and less the case now as we verge towards the monoculture. But uh, no, but certainly I'm, I'm, uh, it, it's funny how I'm extra angry about it because it's like um, uh, well it's you'll see more weirder stuff. Like you have the arguments now of people saying like, I'd actually like to play a cobbled or I'd like to play an orc or whatever that weird deer thing is on critical role. Somebody, you know, comments, educate me. Um, and, uh, and people are actually like breaking out, but I have to point out like, like this was only happening because people started streaming their game. Like speaking of the Stockholming thing, like I used to have long arguments with folks with saying like, this isn't how it's supposed to work or this is a terrible rule. And this was the nineties or even the 2000s, we're in a vacuum. People could just say, well, that's just you. You know, I, you know, that's just your interpretation. You know, you must be the only person like this. You're the only person like this at our table. And now if you go and turn on the streams, no, there's the oodles of people streaming the game, both professional and amateur, who are having the same kinds of problems we are, or I am, having with these games. So, you know, and, and the games are actually like actually having to respond to that. Like only in the last few years have you seen this explosion uh, of challenging the idea that everyone knows what an orc is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I, in fact, I want to point out my favorite disillusion thing, which was when D&D third launched, they wanted to have a new setting search uh, mm-hmm. and they had 11,000 entries. And, and I was one of them, because why not? Uh, it was only like one page. That wasn't hard to submit. But it wasn't until later that I realized that when we were making the big setting search, oh, wait, it was supposed to have dwarves and elves in it? <laughs> and they're just boggling at 11,000 entries, but all of them were dwarves and elves. Dwarves, elves, gnomes, and, of course, uh, halflings. Yeah. And the one they went with was Eberron, which was written by a 10-year insider with TSR. Mm. And whose mission statement was, if it's in D&D, it's in Eberron. Yeah. So you can imagine the misery yeah. I was in in the 2000s, where it's like, we had at least pulled 11,000, and what we decided was the least challenging setting we could think of. <laughs> yeah. You're not even getting mean. I mean, you could point out that that game pitches itself as a pulp action noir fantasy, which is like saying something Nothing is a, that D&D is. Yeah, or, um, or related to each other. I mean, noir is not pulp action, and neither of them are fantasy. Not to say you couldn't synthesize, but it's like... Um, it, it what? really, yeah, it really wants to be that, but is it? And that's the huge problem, of course. You're right when you guys say everybody wants to play D and D because everyone knows what D and D is, even though what they're doing is they're they're doing whatever they want and calling it D and D. And um, but I mean, I did say earlier this is a game and people play it to have fun. Uh, Angry Rafferty showing up to your game all high maintenance with his optimized build that does something really weird. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, 
challenges established hierarchies. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because it's it's always been weird to me about some of the role playing games because I don't feel like I build uh, toxic characters. Like I don't feel like I show up at someone's game. And, and, you know, and I'm here to make everyone miserable. Like, I'm not always picking someone's pocket or murdering the innkeeper because they annoyed me or doing things to get you banned off of your Twitch account. Right. You, you're reading the rules and going, this is what the rules have said is how I win the game. Well, here's here's my pro. Here's I've also it. done something that really, like, confuses me about gaming and something that I know it's getting a little off topic here. Um, I, I need a way to phrase this because I like I, I, I'm. I'm going to sound mean when I say it, but I often feel like I'm the only person who built a character who cares if they live or die. Hmm. Um, Because there'll be things where, like, I'll say, I don't want to throw myself against the armies of the Tyrant Queen or throw myself into this adventure or even go any further in this dungeon because I'm not convinced that what we're doing here is worth the reward. Right, and I think, like, what I would hit on there is that you, me, and I would say all of us, to some extent, are critical people. We look at things and we ask, is this, why are we doing this? What's the point of it? We want to answer these questions. That's how we consume and interact with media. And we can definitely see, like, when you uncritically engage with, say, D&D, you turn your brain off and it's just like, yeah, sure, you know, we just have, like, more elves. What does that mean? Well, or it turns into murder tourism. It's like, why do we go on the adventure? Because we're murder tourists and all we know is murder. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's like as much as I want to applaud all the diversity that we're seeing on the streaming accounts, all of them are bunch of armed malcontents take up arms. I mean, someone's going to contradict me saying oh, there's also like the podcast ones that are the opposite of this, where they're so boring, <laughs> being mean to everybody today. But it, it's like like those are your only two choices: either we spend a lot of time talking about our feelings, or we go. We, it's time to fight the tyrant queen. It, it's what we do. Uh, no mm-hmm. provisions whether we lose or not. We just throw ourselves into it and we do it. And there's like no provisions for any other kind of story, such as the, you know, l- like you can't play Shadow Run, which was Lesson's question, which was a Shadow Runner is supposed to be someone who is running in the shadows. You're below the radar. You're trying to keep a low profile and commit crimes while people with way more powerful gear or dragons or magic or military-grade weapons could wipe you off the face of the earth. And so you're trying to avoid their attention. And if you showed up at Shadowrun expecting that, that's not what you're going to get when you get to the table because of like what's written in the books and the way people present it. And so you might really want to do cyberpunk and, oh, we got to have elves. That's my mood. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, in fact, you know, that's why we published some of our games, because it was, like, angry of, like, let's do Cyberpunk. You mean, like, Shadowrun? No, not like Shadowrun! Get your stupid Elder Scrolls with gun mods out of here. <laughs> right? Thank you. But to so, be fair, yeah. they're trying to do something that hadn't been done before. But also, I think just doing something because it okay, hasn't been I'm done before. They're trying to do something that hadn't been done before, aka Dungeons and Dragons, but with a gun. Yeah, no, I mean, like, no one put the chocolate in the peanut butter, but I, um, I don't think that it ended well, up this is when I break kayfabe and point out they were originally making a generic fantasy game. They converted it at the last minute to Cyberpunk, mm-hmm. which is why half the illustrations in Shadowrun First Edition are generic fantasy. I did not know that. Nice. That is interesting. Yeah, but, but um, they, they retcon. It's 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 FASA. They retcon stuff. People assume they were always. Mm-hmm. You know, Battletech yeah. was originally about giant robots. It isn't just repurposed Robotech art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I think Elves and Dwarves for Fantasy is kind of like the same selling point uh, as saying your uh, RPG is Star Wars. It's 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 the buy-in. You don't think that you have to know anything more about it, right? Well, it's I, kind of, uh, if I go to any D and D table, all I need to know is like there's elves, there's dwarves, orcs are occasionally bad. Don't go to the Underdark, and well, those are the assumptions that I'm coming with, not necessarily like what rules we're playing most of the time. I right? mean, this is kind of getting away from Stockholming, but something that's been fascinating to me late, lately is well, like the the racial coding of Dungeons and Dragons, mm. because Shadowrun kind of bled into this, and it's like god awful movie bright. And, uh, and I also, I posted links to you guys of computer games that do this, where they're, uh, like, um, you know, and, and Dungeons and & Dragons is having a controversy where people are saying, like, are orcs racially coded to be black? And this is where I'm going to step on every landmine, because it's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, uh, some people are seeing it that way. And once again, this is always weird to me, because I'm always asking the question, why do we fucking have orcs? 
we could be doing anything. And the fact that we have to stop here and argue about the racial coding of these generic things that we made up, and we're spending more time arguing about that than asking the question, should we even be telling this, you know, do we have to have this framework in the first freaking place? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, now I'm not at any tables like that, but I'm also, I'm not in any Dungeons and Dragons games at the moment. Every now and then I try to fire up D&D. And I am very jealous of the people these days who play their, like, you know, kitbash mods. But, um, you know, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I mean, I live in the future. So I, I think one thing people forget about is that D&D was going broke in the 80s. Like, they, they were, like, going down. Uh, Gary Gygax was their leader, and they were going down fast. And that's because a lot of people showed up. It was a fad. They played it, and they got bored. And I have to assume that they got bored because of something that was wrong with the game. Like, like mm-hmm. it just either people aged out of it and they didn't get a new group in, uh, or mm-hmm. the materials they were making were substandard and didn't have what people wanted. I mean, you know, it's, it, people look at me funny when I say that. Like, Gary was making as many pole arms as he could, as fast as he could. I don't understand why people are picking this up. Um, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't... Well, he was shopping a movie in Hollywood, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, shopping. I'll we'll read that story. It's great. So yeah. uh, after that, Dragonlance showed up that gave them like an actual setting to thrive on, and then later Forgotten Realms, which is way bigger. I mean, Dragonlance is huge. Forgotten Realms is way bigger, and um, uh, I think Dragonlance is the first one to win a Hugo, a Nebula, and the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, I don't Damn. know like that. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. They're huge, and uh, and uh, they they built that formula. Plus, also the computer games came out. But what I'm getting at is like these days where if I'm frustrated with a tabletop game, uh, you know, first of all, I'm old. But second of all, um, you know, I don't have time for this shit. Um, I have other entertainment venues available to me. I can fire up a computer game like Dragon A, which will let me build any character I want up to and including modding the game to cheat. And at no time does the game give me any shit. And um, mm-hmm. now I am missing that parasocial relationship of having other people validate my experience. But on the other hand, um, nobody gives me any shit over what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, going trying to go back to the to the Stockholm syndrome. I think uh, another aspect of this is what I might call hacking a game till until it in it falls apart, right? Until they hack it to pieces. Where it's like I'm so you know embedded in this game that I cannot just jump chip. So I have to keep modding and modding and house ruling and doing hacks. And what if I can have, you know, my astronaut built was, you know, powered by, you know, stellar power or something like, I, I guess you go spell jammer. I don't know. Go ahead. You know, but you know, it, it keeps going to the point where it just turns into much. Right. But people insist that they got to have their superhero D and D version. They got to have their mystery super, version of D and D or whatever game. Right. I mean, I said D and D because that's mostly what happened during third edition where everybody by combination of it's the dominant game. And as a marketing ploy, turn everything into D and D. Right. Okay, can I throw some shade or am I going to be me? Go ahead. I'm going to throw some shade on Worlds Without Number. So Stars Without Number took D&D and added Traveler to it. And then Worlds Without Number put the D&D back in it. Yeah. <laughs> Runaway yeah, success. Yeah. Star Without Number. Oh, yeah. OSR is considered OSR. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not a bad game if you think about it. It's, just well, it's not a bad game because D&D is not a bad game. It's just... Yeah. It's just like it's bizarre to me that it's like yeah. okay you know the kind of master of traveler okay maybe and then they just take you now it's just D D again because you can't go yeah, wrong any you know i mean i'm uh, i'm gonna be the angry you know indie guy over here but like any D like will sell it's only a question of how much yeah um mm-hmm. and i think you yeah, know that what happens um i mean we, we talk about the osr revival right it's like oh we don't want to keep playing the same D&D in the new D&D. So I guess we go even back to the old D&D as we think we remember D&D, right? And we think that it was. Yeah, because we're doing Holmes or we're doing Mulvey uh, uh, or whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and it's also like like the OSR, I can understand because they wanted to make D&D simpler. Like I've been complaining that D&D isn't simple. Even D&D 5 is not simple enough. It, it could be simpler. And that, that, in fact, speaking of the Stockholm thing, that's usually the problem I'm having with these games is they're usually complicated, but not in a way that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So either I ignore these complicated rules, which makes me sad because I wanted to play a complicated game, or I invest in these complicated rules and they don't work. 
And then everyone else gets mad at me because not only am I complaining about these rules don't work, but when I actually make them do things that people don't want me. I guess that's that's the huge thing that's happened to me in a lot of games, which was um, you already told me I couldn't be the giant talking rat because we're playing D&D and it doesn't have giant talking right before critical role um so (laughs) i I built the character that the rules would let me play so it's not what i wanted and then everyone else is mad at me because i'm like i built some sort of power gamer character that they don't want me to be doing this either and uh right we've arrived at a situation where absolutely nobody is happy but this is exactly the scenario that's been engineered right and we can't fix it because what do we do not play D D. Uh, so, but, but I also like the sales of these games, like we won't have sales figures of D and D cause they don't print them. We can only make guesses at them and the marketplace has been fragmented and I'm guessing it's surged. I haven't seen these stats since critical role started. I'm sure this is helping and I'm sure the pandemic is helping, mm-hmm. but the sales yes. of these games have gone way down since the 90. Uh, I mean like guys, vampire had a fucking TV show. Okay. Vampire had a TV show in the nineties and they had a list console releases in the 90s they don't anymore now they see the world they're trying to they're trying to they're they're, they're still a one we could do a whole episode on their in uh the entire insider story of like what keeps happening to their video games but what i want to kind of get at is you know like the marketplace for tabletop gaming has shrank Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, as a as a publisher, I have to be cognizant of this, which uh, which sure. is also strange because the number of people playing it or like actively visibly playing it has gone up. So well, has everyone just stopped buying them? Except, of course, you know, like like critical. Well, except you know, how do you critical role is watched by know? millions of people, but that's just six people, and that's people watching them play. And I'm sure if you survey the comments, you'll get people talking. But but people are playing the game. People are playing Fortnite and Minecraft. Mm-hmm. So instead of people getting together for three to four hours with a bunch of other people structured around a game, these computer games eat into their time. I shouldn't say eat into their time because I, these are valid experiences that folks are having. Or rather, they have a choice of what to do with their friends, and it's easier to say, hey, everyone, knows I got a Minecraft server. Let's just hop on that. There's no expectations. Right, and that's why I say the Stockholming for me went down because like, even if I was a teenager today, you can just install these games for like way, way less money, down to even cheapest free, than you mm-hmm. can these tabletop role-playing games. And like I said, you can do solo, unstructured play um uh admittedly we're missing the parasocial relationship of i talked about validation i'm not having other people validate my talking rat character because no one's there to see it but on the other hand it's way better than a stockholm game where people are just giving me shit for what i wanted to do right at least in the solo experience you can have your character and now i can play the video game and stream it and other people will show up and watch me do it Oh, and that the, hey, we've we've added the social element back into it to the solo game. You stream it now; everyone's social about it as you're playing with it. Right, and and that's way better. I can do whatever the hell I want. I mean, you're in. By the way, buy my game <laughs> and, and tell you how much you suck what you're doing. But you know, uh, complain about my game. Come to my... our forums and complain with the angry comments about it. <laughs> uh, we're on Reddit. Yeah, I know there's angry people on Reddit. I see you. <laughs> oh boy, are they ever? Uh, yeah, I think. Hmm. I still, I still think it's a phenomenon, though, and maybe we are aging out. You know, uh, really, mentally we, we are old. Uh, uh, no, but I'm on top of the industry again, right? Oh. Those disciples. Uh, oh, I'm aging out. Like in five minutes, I'm just gonna drop dead, and I'll be that. Anyway, yeah, uh, I'm turning to dust. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it, that's happening because it this it goes through cycles, right? Uh, there's a lot of popularity about the name brand doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's playing more role-playing games because just because they're playing more D doesn't mean that they're playing the the, the you know well, the, the 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 field you know yeah and this is something i've been complaining about like like i've seen the wording in because you go back to 80s games they didn't have anything as their model they had to just make stuff up as they went along so you get terrible stuff like palace of the silver princess you get interesting stuff like dwells the forbidden city you get the bizarre epic that is the GDQ series against Lolth, which, you know, everyone remembers Lolth, but no one remembers the um, encounter with the bureaucrat shuffling papers. You know, there's some things you remember and some things you don't, uh, and, and those work. But now, like, the complaint I had about a lot of 2000s games is they seem to be written by people who wanted to be writing for MMOs. Like, the whole Tyrant Queen thing we were complaining about is it's structured in a way that you will inevitably pass each one of these quests and go on to the next one. 
just like it was an MMO. Or there is some parallel here too, because MMOs base themselves off of some of the early adventure theme park kind of structure of some adventure paths. Well, EverQuest, like for example, EverQuest penalized you for dying because D and D penalized you for dying. World of Warcraft, like what? You lose ten percent of your durability. It's people commit suicide in World of Warcraft to get places faster. Right. Uh, but EverQuest like has a specific zone structure where it's like, hey, here's the zone, here's the haunted mansion area you had to struggle to get here. Here's its through line and you go through fighting things, exploring its through line. Right, That's now, an adventure. Right now you have a mount to do but, but what I mean is like the tabletop games got their writing. Like the thing that always drives me nuts is when you get into a Pathfinder adventure and the description of the room describes the light sources on the walls. And that's usually something that drives me nuts because why would there be light sources in here? Who lights these torches? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, like who brought these it's in? It's a not inconvenience the human care. Well, and the reason why is because if they were a computer game writer, they would need to give the designers who are making the game would put those computer generated torches on the wall because they're inspired by computer games. That's why I've been talking mm-hmm. about how, like, I think the next generation is as much as people love all of these you know, Harmon Quest, Dimension 20s, and that sort of thing of performative play, um, we haven't really seen the games written with performative play in mind. People are watching Critical Role, and I really think that a few years from now, for good or for ill, you're going to see people writing stuff where I could be just as clever as the people on Critical Role, and they're going to write adventures that are designed for a director to present them with really clever characters and silly things to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what the game the gaming is going to morph into that. And uh, mm-hmm. there'll be some people who enjoy that, and there'll be a lot of people who are not into, you know, like, didn't understand that's what the game was going to be, and they're going to walk away from it. It's, it's all that unwritten stuff. Yeah, I would argue we're already seeing that, actually. I think more and more you're seeing a lot of celebrity stunt writers who are... I mean, they're they're draws because they're like actors, right? Right. But they're actors who yeah. now have also written a D and D adventure. And when you look at it and you see it, you're like, okay, a lot of this stuff reads like someone who maybe played a lot of video games or watched a lot of Critical Role. They're not people who honed the craft of writing games, or even like matter. are inspired by a source material. Well, I, I, right, I, I yeah. Take a, a less judgment. It's like you know, as I'm fond of saying in a whiny voice, that's what a game is. I mean, that's like when I keep talking, I talked earlier about how I want the game to be something where we can diverge if, if we push it hard enough or because we want to, we can change the way the story goes. And I can point to examples from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, today, whatever, that where a lot of adventures are written with no provisions for that in mind. Now, that's not just a recent thing. I mean, that's like you said, those guys are inspired by computer games, but they're not inspired by Elder Scrolls. They're inspired by God of War. Yeah. Mm. Mm, so, right. yeah. And, and, and uh, um, if, if the fun you're supposed to be having in the game is because of we're supposed to crack wise and be performative about that. I mean, that's that's one the major reason why we wrote Madcap, because Madcap is a cartoony screwball game. And there are rules in the game of you have to make other people laugh to get laugh points. You are not allowed to resort to violence unless the GM says you can. You can do anything else, be as obnoxious as possible. Just don't be violent. Un, un, mm-hmm. Be as annoying. And, and because that mission statement's in there, the game was written in a way that we're supposed to be performative. And uh, I, right. I, I, I would le- I, like I said, my complaint is I don't mind if the game is like that, but I don't want to be sold on the idea that this is a game where I can express myself and write down any species, any gender, any uh, identity I want and express myself in the game when that's not what it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I think uh, it's not really a counter-argument because I'm with you. Because I think that ultimately a lot of what people find distasteful about the game, they ignore. And they've been encouraged to ignore it by the game itself. I mean, the game in this case being yeah. D&D. I, again, I just got a lengthy there, there, conversation with over... a friend. Yeah, go ahead. A lengthy conversation argument we butt heads over a lot of subjects but this specifically was me saying like i think that saying your game if you don't like these rules ignore them is weak game design and he's like no it's brilliant that is that's what makes D the greatest role-playing game on earth is that you can ignore any of it that you don't want to interface with I, I think there's genius. i just I, I want 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I think like there's something right there. Like you can ignore everything, and I think it's also because a lot of D and D doesn't have meaning built into it. Like let's take the dwarves and elves thing. If we were to look at Tolkien and say, what are the purpose of elves and dwarves existing? What do they represent in the story? We could come up with an answer for that, right? It, it doesn't really matter what the answer is. It does exist there. There's a point that they are there. When we go over to D and D. What is the point of dwarves and elves existing? Well, it, it, it's backforming. It, it, it's like exactly. saying, like, okay, like when people say, I'm going to run a D&D game, I have to come up with a reason why dwarves, elves, gnomes, and halflings are in it. Which right, is like, but very I'm often sure it's that, empty, and you don't fill it in, and you're just the elf. Well, but, 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 it, but, that's, but that's ass backwards, because it like, is. No, it would be, I should come up with a fantasy setting and then put things in it. I have seen some, like there was one fantasy homebrew that somebody pitched me at uh, where they had elves and orcs in it, but the orcs were like crab people with pictures and the elves were just uh, high decks and long limbed. And it was like I said, like, that's not what an orc is in a crab. And then and someone said, oh, no, they're just using orc as a generic term for anything that uses brute strength to get what they want. And like my mind went that like to some people, orc just means anything bad that's guy. super strong. Well, not bad guy. Any, you know, the barbarian class. Anything that's a yeah. barbarian class, your know, barbarian ancestry is just, that's what an orc is. And like yeah. just to hear it defined that way, was I'm not saying they couldn't define it that way. I said this, like... But they positively defined it. Um, it's... Uh, as opposed to leaving it this empty void of meaning. Um, well, it's all, like, some of the approaches I've seen, like, even you see this in D&D 5, where they're saying, like, if you want to play something small and cute, just build a halfling and call yourself whatever, call yourself a badger or whatever. Like, you know, and if you want to have cat boys in your game, just take an elf and call it a cat boy, which on the one hand, you know, I don't really have a problem with that. It's your fantasy game and you could just use that as a build. On the other hand, it's kind of like, you know, you're really kit bashing. Uh, I mean, yeah. like, like the Dungeons and Dragons, 99% of it is this is exactly how things are. Myconids are exactly like this, you know, and, and then there's the 1% of, by the way, you can change anything you want. But that has the problem we just mentioned with the Stockholming of we all came to the table hearing what Dungeons and Dragons is. And we all don't, not only do we not know what it is, but Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have a session zero. It doesn't have the provisions in the game for talking out what we want. We write down true neutral or chaotic good that gives the GM no clues on what we're on about. I write down, you know, warlock human or, you know, orc fighter. Once again, that doesn't, you know, that may tell you what I'm going to express in the world. That tells you nothing about whether, uh, you know, I want to do a lot of role-playing, whether I do a lot of combat, whether I'm interested in the setting or interested in the lore, whether I just want to hang out with my friends. There's all these other hidden things that the game has no tool to work with right and like very often like uh it's usually like someone comes up and says hey guys i want to run a dnd session D game where you fight dragons all the time and they slap that on down to the table well, and not, that's all you get yeah i want to run a dnd world uh, i want to run a dnd game by the way i've made my huge world here's their entire economic system which is largely agrarian based and here's the town mm -hmm. which has a population of forty-eight thousand seven hundred twenty-two. i went and wrote their map why does any of that matter none of that matters <laughs> Yeah. You know, like the only thing that matters is you never, never once did you ask me. I mean, that's why we said Stockholming syndrome. Like the, the, the you're stuck with the guy in his one idea. The very yeah. last time I went to play champion, I just want to say this real quick: champion, the hero game. The last mm -hmm. time I went to meet a bunch of strangers and I showed up with a champion's build and I lowballed the build. I said, you know, I'm just going to build a uh, robot man from the Doom Patrol because that's what I want to do. Uh, and and I just built my own little Urzots version of that. And I was underpowered. And I showed up at the game and immediately when I showed up and like there's all these characters, all this big lore. And, the, and I had this big lore statement of, you know, here I come from here with my dark history and that kind of stuff. And she looked at my character and said, it says here that you based your professional skill sculpting off of decks, which is an official rule, but we don't use that as a house rule in our game. So you're going to have to change that. Also, and it was like, and like, they didn't ask me anything about my backstory or anything or say, oh, I fit the campaign or anything like that. And I just, I just quit. I mean, that, like, like, you know, cause once again, loader mulch, which I had in earlier sessions, like <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for you to complain about how I was underpowered. Uh, you know, cause I didn't, I, I, and, and you didn't even do that because my, I'm embarrassingly underpowered, but <laughs> no, no. The problem is your sculpting skill. <laughs> but, oh my God. I would, I would break the game. 
because my sculpting skill was 83% instead of 75%. That would break the game. Oh, no. Totally ruin all the, I mean, that, that, that's, that's what I'm talking about where I say, like, people don't necessarily have these clues or skills or whatever. It was like, you know, I realized that's why I hated playing these games. Well, mm-hmm. sorry, I hated playing these really crunchy games because you'd play them with people who only like really big crunch. That's why I stopped playing those because I got sick and tired of the people they attract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, to continue to sort of like bring this to a little bit of a close, uh, what have you got lessons? I mean, I think it's a condition of, like I said earlier, familiarity and in- ignorance. Right? Uh, you you keep playing the game because it's a game that you know and it's familiar, uh, and you don't know any better, or you're afraid to go somewhere else. Right? And kind of start all over again. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I know this game, X game, but I don't know that game. And it's almost like starting hands, like, uh, okay, we tried it. So let's run back to the safety, you know, get our safety blankets and, and wrap ourselves into the game. Either they're stinky and we haven't watched in years. It's, you know, it's because we know. All right, right. What have you got? I think um, that the biggest hindrance is um, the amount of effort that it takes to invest into learning new games and trying new things because it's a hobby that demands a lot of a lot of buy-in to begin with even if you just count the hours of playing a game that you're familiar with it's a lot and i think that it's a big ask whether we acknowledge it or not to learn a game to play it so i i do think that ultimately people like us might look at it and say this is crazy why would you stick with this game that isn't good for you <laughs> that isn't doing what you want it to do, that you have to hack to pieces to get the experience that you want out of it. But also, I think we, most of us here are people who are intrigued by the notion of game design or by the complexity and the newness of all these other systems. And we can appreciate that. And I think most people are really just looking for a fun way to relax with their friends. And for them, yeah. that buy-in is too high. Oh, I, and one thing I forgot, <clears throat> money. We forgot about money. Because you have to buy many of this stuff. I would agree with you, but I think the most expensive this hobby can be is when you're playing D&D. Honestly, there's a lot. Oh my gosh. D&D isn't even that expensive. You can get the core book of D&D for like 35 or less. I mean, A-list video games cost 60 or more. But you gotta buy the three expanded compendiums and the fighter guide and the guide to kobolds. Yeah, but when you look at all of the indie game alternatives out there, even the mainstream games outside of maybe Fantasy Flight, most of them are going to be cheaper, especially if you don't need physical stuff. You can get a lot of this stuff in PDF for way cheaper. I mean, well, and also, you don't have necessarily have to have a copy of the game. You log yeah. into something like Roll20 for free. Only the GM has to be spending the 15 bucks a month or whatever it is to get mm-hmm. access to all the tools. People people just get their character when it's time for them to do something, they just push buttons or macros and it happens. There are like mother people, may I. Yeah, there are lots of in fact one reason why people play D&D or Pathfinder is because of all the free tools that are available. If you want to play mm-hmm. Pathfinder, you could just fire it up and play it for free right now. Yep. Uh, if if I were going to conclude on anything, I would say that uh stop trying to adjust the th- adjust the thing that's broken there's something out there already written that does the thing that you probably want or at least close enough that you would be much happier than doing it from scratch there are so many rpgs out there right now and happiness is just right over there well uh, i'm gonna flip i'm gonna uh, once again i'm gonna a downer note uh um, ah, dang downers uh, i'm I, and maybe it's out there somewhere, but I am not seeing the game that is addressing, you know, I want to call this this new generation of performative play. Because obviously the people who are doing this stuff on Dimension 20 and Harmon Quest and whatnot are, are playing a game that does have hitting things and losing hands. I've seen Matt Mercer's liner notes, so uh, or his commentary offline. Uh, so, um, but there is, an, there, I haven't seen a game that's been addressing uh, improv, how to work with what other people are saying. Uh, giving players responsibility of avoiding dead air, uh, the acting craft and that kind of stuff. I think that could be a lot of fun for people that people, people watch critical role and say, that looks like fun. I want to do that. And uh, just, uh, just lessons on dead air right there is a the whole topic. Right. And uh, well, but I mean, like, I, th- I think the, the, the Stockholm syndrome can settle in where people are playing the game and they're waiting for that critical role moment to happen without necessarily the game isn't giving them the tools. No one is telling them, okay, to be like critical role, you have to do these things. And 
Uh, you know, and that should be something that is in the book rather than something Matt Mercer is applying from without. He's got acting school. He's got acting cred. He's got directing cred. You know, he's applying those professional techniques. That's what we need to see uh, at, at the table. And and really, just to back all this up, I really just want to see a lot more response. I want to see an end to toxic gaming. I want to see an end to, if I can dream, the uh, phrase of this game can be anything you want it to be. That is a lie. This game can only be what everyone at the table wants it to be, which yep. you could come to a consensus and you could discuss it like an adult, but telling people just it's whatever you want without saying, by the way, you need to talk to other people, respect their boundaries, maybe get an X card, understand stuff. We've seen public blowouts you know, of people starting controversy because they're mean jerks to other people what role-playing game can be and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what, what we, need, we need to end that idea of it could be anything you want. No, it can't. It has to be something we all work together. We all have to compromise. We all need to be mature about this. And if we do that, we can have a much better social relationship than just sitting here miserable waiting for it to get good. I do love that. Like, I could probably take yeah. that statement and just expand it into a lesson learned for everyone else and every other kind of thing. Work together, oh. get a better social solution. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a great yeah. statement in general. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's that's the thing I'm crusading because I've seen that used as an excuse for weak designers. They're saying, like, why didn't you guys just have fun? Why didn't you flip that switch from fun to on? Why are you a bad player? We said you could have fun and now you're not. And it's like, we all know reasons why you might not be having fun at the table. And all that stuff's like unwritten stuff. Like, why? Why aren't we talking about it? Right. All right. So I think that's going to go ahead and be our conclusion then. So that's going to be it for today's episode of Notes from the Aleph. We stream episodes bi-weekly Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can join us live at twitch.tv slash Ractus. We also stream and record weekly tabletops at the same channel. And you can come join us when we start at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays and Wednesdays. Norman Rafferty here is a partner and writer for Sanguine Games. Check out sanguinegames.com and join us on Reddit and Twitter. And look forward to the upcoming Book of Quarrels Ironclaw expansion book. Also, don't forget to check out Red Rabbit and book him for a game over on startplaying.games as Red Rabbit. And be sure to check out Lesson Learned at Lesson Learned 1 on YouTube and Twitch and see all of his varied content. And of course, check him out on Amazon and all of his fun books. And of course, last but not least, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and come see us all again. Until next time, everybody.